Greetings in Jesus' name. I'm Bishop Chester Wright, and this is the video teaching series, Houses of Worship, or what role and place did houses and homes uh, play or have in the ministry and the lives of apostolic believers in the first century in the New Testament church? And we're looking at that. This is lesson number 10, and uh, we want to talk about another event today that uh, in this lesson that uh, happened in a house that we don't always think of as happening in a house. So I'd like to begin reading in Acts chapter 20, beginning with verse 6, and uh, you'll recognize this pretty quickly. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days, where we, ab- where we abode seven days. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow, and continued his speech until, until midnight. He wasn't giving a speech. He continued talking ministering until midnight. And there were many lights in the upper chamber. That's the, that's a clue right together. They came together to break bread. That's a clue where this was. And there were many lights in the upper chamber, verse 8, where they were gathered together. That's a clue. And there sat in a window, so it was obviously some kind of house or a structure that had a window but a young man was sitting in a window uh, named Eutychus, uh, being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, so he wasn't giving a public speech, he was preaching. He sunk down with sleep and, and eventually fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. So wherever this young man was sitting, It was the third floor of this house. And uh, Paul went down. He was obviously laying on the ground, and he was dead. Must have broken his neck or something because he was dead by the time they got to him. Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him, saying, and said, Trouble not yourselves, for his life is in him. Now, the Bible says he was taken up dead. So when Paul prayed for him, his life was in him. That means he's now resurrected from the dead. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, that was Paul, and even till break of day, so he departed, and they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. So These verses depict how a young man fell from a window on the third loft of a house where Paul was teaching. And I want you to notice again that they were in an upper chamber where uh, they were eating. And so this was an upper chamber of a house. It was the third loft or the third floor of this house where this upper chamber was. And a young man was sitting there and was listening to Paul. And he'd been going a while, needless to say. Uh, And uh, 
the young man fell asleep and fell out of the window and hit the ground and was dead when they got to him. And Paul came down and uh, uh, he fell on him and embraced him and said, uh, trouble not yourselves for his life is in him because obviously Paul prayed for him. We don't know how long this was. Paul went down and fell on him and embraced him. And we don't know how long that took. But when, and Paul said, uh, after this period of time, however long it was, uh, trouble not yourselves for his life is in him. Now, the purpose of this, of course, is a couple of different things. Uh, <laughs> Paul taught at least six hours with no recording device. And possibly some were taking notes, maybe some first century form of shorthand. Uh, but realistically, the only way that Paul could see the benefit of speaking that long was because he knew that he was not speaking to their minds, but rather to their spirit. <clears throat> and while this is not specifically the subject of this series, it's certainly we're talking about things that happen in houses in the New Testament church. And so this is, this at, this is Acts chapter 20, which is one of the later things we've looked at so far in this series. <clears throat> so Paul is, uh, he's ministering. He is passing through this area and he is, uh, he's on his way. He's going to be leaving the next day. And so before he leaves, he is going to minister to them. He's talking to them. He is instructing them. And he started right after the evening meal, whatever time that was, and he spoke until daylight. And the only interruption was when the young man fell out of the window and died. Okay? And uh, the point I have already made in reading what was what God had given to me when I did this set of notes was uh, that how could Paul, with no recording device available, how could Paul believe that he could speak that long and it be effective? Well, Modern preachers today wouldn't consider going that long because people can't possibly retain that. Well, that's exactly the problem, isn't it? Because if you're ministering to people's minds, then maybe they can't receive and retain that. But if you're ministering to their spirits and you're sowing the seed of the word of God into their hearts, which then bypasses their brains and doesn't rely on their brain to retain, uh, knowing that God will water the seeds of the word that's put in that spirit and that heart, and that God will cause that to grow, and he will bring those things to mind when he is ready, because medical science has proven that all of our memories are in our brain. The problem is the mechanism of recall. And nobody has total recall. Nobody. 
Nobody can recall every moment of their lives. Nobody has total recall of their experiences and the moments and minutes and hours and days, weeks, months, years of their life. Nobody. But medical science has confirmed that it's all there. And a lot of times when you're only speaking a short while, 20 minutes, 30 minutes, people don't get mentally tired enough to stop arguing with you in their minds. And so consequently, you can't get past their brains to sow the seed in their hearts. David said, by word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. So biblically, I'm not worried about the word that's in a person's natural mind. I'm not worried about whether or not they receive it in their natural mind and retain it in their natural mind. My goal is for the word to be sown by the Spirit of God into their spirits, into their hearts, because it's there. It's there. And that is the frightening thing, you see. And I've preached this and taught this before, but in hell, remember what Abraham said to the rich man in Luke 16? Son, remember? The problem is, in hell, we will have not we, I'm not going in Jesus' name, I'm not going, but the people in hell will have total recall in hell. They will remember every moment of every day, of every week, of every month of their lives, of every decision they made, of every opportunity they were given that they either recognized or didn't recognize as being from God for them to be saved. They're going to remember all that. And so, (laughs) that word that I'm not, I'm trying to figure out with my brain and know if I agree with it when it's being spoken is somewhere in my memory. And God is able to bring that up and essentially play it like a video for all to see at the Great White Throne Judgment. Because there's no time, so there's no limit on how long he takes with each individual to demonstrate why he's sending them to hell or why they're saved. He doesn't have any limit on that, so he can take plenty of time with each one of those individuals to demonstrate to all the masses that are there his justice, his goodness, his mercy, even though that person is going to go to hell because everybody will see. There will be no response. The Bible says those that are judged lost will be speechless because they will see the preponderance of the evidence against them in the light of eternity at that point. If I don't want to look at eternity now, that's my business. But I will look at eternity standing before the great white throne judgment. Every one of us will look at eternity standing there. But there won't be anybody arguing. There won't be any lawyers there to argue our case. Because the only thing the great white throne is going to do is pronounce the sentence and executing the sentence that's already been concluded based on all this preponderance of the evidence of either that I'm saved or I'm lost. Now, 
I got all of that out of this. Yes, I did. I didn't get it because I figured it out. It's just what the Lord was showing me was going on. Now, it's not the only time in the Bible that someone spoke and ministered a long time. But because of the event that happened in the middle of the message, it makes it very notable. And many could say, well, that proves right there it's bad to uh, to minister so long because this man died while he was being ministered to. Yes, and he got resurrected from the dead. So after he fell out of the window about midnight and died and was resurrected, Paul got a little bite to eat. That young man got a little bite to eat. Everybody, and he kept on going to daylight because he was leaving that day. I guarantee you this. Anybody that was waning like this young man and getting a little tired, Paul had their full attention now because God just raised the man from the dead in the middle of his message. And where did all this happen? Not in a church building. Happened in a house. The point of including this text here is to emphasize that one of the most well-known events of Paul's ministry took place while he was ministering in a house. Paul was scheduled by the Holy Ghost to leave that day or the next day when he started the night before. He was leaving the next day. And it could be, it's a very fairly simple biblical proof that this was the last time he personally was coming by that way. And so in the Holy Ghost, he felt the urgency to speak to them. Now, to my knowledge, uh, there's no record of all the things he said to them that day. But knowing Paul and seeing how the the message to Ephesus was kind of similar to the message of the Colossians, and there's some similarity with parts of it with Philippians and there's some parts of Galatians you can see in others. And if you look through all of that, there, it, there is a degree of repetition in everything Paul wrote. Even though every epistle is unique, there's a degree of repetition. So I think we can pretty much conclude that there's a lot of things that Paul wrote to the other churches that he spoke to these people in his last time alive with them. Jesus did something fairly similar. We talked about it in an earlier lesson when he was at the uh, what we call the Last Supper or his last Passover with the, the uh, disciples. He, uh, he, they had the meal. He washed their feet, and then he taught them three chapters worth and since that was actually what was written down, I don't believe, I think that's a summary. I don't personally believe that is verbatim every word he said to them in John chapter 14, 15, and 16. I believe that is a summary principle that the Holy Ghost quickened to John to write down. It, I don't believe it was every word. Now, even if you sat down and read through without stopping John 14, 15, 16, that would be a little bit of time. And then John 17 records the prayer he prayed with them and over them before they went out to Gethsemane where he prayed for himself and eventually 
uh, after his victory in prayer for himself, the mob came and took him prisoner, and they had this mock trial, and they eventually crucified him that day, that calendar day, uh, which was after midnight when they took him. And so uh, Paul felt an urgency here to teach, and he taught where they gathered, and they gathered in a house because they ate a meal first, and then they he taught in the same structure and situation where they had the meal. And the young man in the middle of the message, because it was the middle of the night, he uh, fell out of the window, died. Paul rose, raised him from the dead. And then after a short break, he continued teaching until daylight because it was time for him to leave. Now, again... He started ministering about dinner time and was interrupted, and that's quite an interruption, at about midnight when a young man fell out of the third-story window of a house and died. And we rejoice over the miracle of the young man's resurrection, but there's two things we normally miss. And I've already said them, but I'm saying them again now for summary's sake. First, Paul was ministering in a house, not a church building. And second, after the miracle, service was not dismissed. Now, with us, that's very likely what would happen. So we would be ministering, and then the young man would die, and we'd raise him from the dead, and everybody would say, well, we must be finished. Let's go home. And how many times? If we had some good old-fashioned Holy Ghost break breakdowns, poor outpourings, and we dash out and danced and prayed and prayed for one another and all of that, and when that lifted, we went home because we were done. Really? Is there a possibility God wasn't done? Well, we you know, and I we've been there. We've been here three hours, or this has been four hours. This has been amazing, but we've all got to go to work in the morning, so we got to go to home and go to work. What about letting him make that decision? What about the Lord making that decision and not us? What about that? Why don't we give him that opportunity? Oh, praise God. So Paul, obeying the Holy Ghost, ministered until daylight after the young man died. Now, I'm not that apostolic yet. And furthermore, I've never spoken to an audience that was that apostolic yet. Because I tell you what, you go a little while and the carnality will start coming out. And oh, 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 we're not being considerate of people's times and whatever. They don't have any time. I don't have any time. They don't own their lives. God owns their lives. And if they have time, then God has owned them, which means they're not saved. <sighs> it's pretty harsh, brother, right? No, it's Bible. It's Bible. It's not me. If that's just me, then I'm a, a lunatic. But if that's in the book, and we're going to be judged by the books according to Revelation, if that's in the book, and you can't take it out of the book without 
your name being taken out of the book of life. If that's in the book, then it's not hard or harsh. It's Bible. You know, one thing we don't understand seemingly, we don't understand that in this temporary life, every moment of every day is a test. It's a test. Every moment of every day is a test. It's a test of our faith. It's a test of our submission. It's a test of our obedience. It's a test of whether or not we're going to do the will of God rather than our own. It's a test of whether or not we're going to walk in the Spirit and be governed by the Spirit and be filled with the Spirit and governed by the Spirit or whether or not we're going to walk according to the rationale of our own minds. What do you do when the Spirit and the Word say this and our intellect says this? Well, that that choice, that conflict there, that dichotomy, we face that every moment of the day because there is no flesh, really, that chooses what God says and what the Spirit of the Lord says to us through the Word of God over what it says. No flesh does that. That's not new. It's not unusual. It's not not just some weird thing just spiritual people go through. Whether it's a, a person that doesn't know God at all, but it's their conscience speaking to them or what they want to do regardless of what their conscience says. Every human being, every moment of the day faces that dichotomy. And the question is, who's going to win? And so here we are. And all of this took place in a house. (laughs) And here we are with that dichotomy. So are we so married to church buildings that we we repel at the idea, the notion that God could do such supernatural things in a mere house? That's what religion says. That's what religion says. That's what tradition says says, got to be in a church building, got to be in a church building or it's not valid. Really? Now, where in the Bible is that? And that's part of the purpose of this series, not to say it's wrong to have a building and for the church to come together publicly in a building, even though that's not public worship, that's public access worship, and that's not the same thing because they've got to come through a door to get into that worship. That door is a barrier between the public and us. And if the door's not locked, then it's public access. If the door's locked, then it's not public access. But it's not public worship service. It's not a public. It's We tell ourselves that, but it's not true. It's not true. So here we've got this conflict going on. And the problem is, I'm not saying it's either or. I'm saying, according to the New Testament, it's both. They met publicly, and they met from house to house. In fact, Acts 5.42 says that they ministered in every house. Now, the implication is it's not every house in a city, but every house of the people of the church was a place of ministry. So what about your house? What about my house? 
There's some amazing things that God will do in houses if he just has the chance. Are we going to give him a chance, or are we going to keep the gospel locked away inside the four walls of a building and require the lost? If you want to be saved, you got to come in here with us. Well, they had, do have to come into the body of Christ to be saved, but they can do that out there. They can do that on the street. They can do that in the marketplace. They can do that in homes. They can do that in woods. They can do that in a crowd someplace. That's apostolic. Am I apostolic? Are you apostolic? In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray that you and I would allow the Holy Ghost to make us truly, biblically apostolic with ministry that's public and ministry in every house. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen.